Welcome to episode 42 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, L. I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. The magic of baking. The wonders of the kitchen. We're talking about cooking as a magical practice. Food as a magical substance. And boy, has this been a difficult episode to research. Food is deeply culturally significant, and various rituals are connected to it. From tea ceremonies to sacrament and communion, food has always been connected to magic because it's just, we have to do it. We have to do it. (laughs) You eat stuff and it comes out as other stuff, and everybody's like, oh, that's magic. Uh, Most of what I found were recipe books titled... The magic of cooking, or like whatever the fuck, uh, by looking up just like magic food or food magic. I found all kinds of like weird food reviews that were like, <laughs> the food here is magic. And I'm like, Magical. not what I'm looking for. Essentially, what I had to do was look up, look into like various like specific religions and like spiritual practices to see how food plays a part. And trust me, food plays a part in pretty much every spiritual practice or religion. Hmm. At least a little bit. Okay. There's also the modern kitchen witchery, which is typically connected to neo-paganism and other eclectic spiritual practices. Kitchen witches aren't, like, especially connected to specific beliefs, even if some of them say they are. It is a relatively new phenomenon. Uh, The rise of it seems to be connected to a fairly recent book by Serdwin Greenleaf. The hap... Oh, it's a long title. Okay. I have to take a breath. The Book of Kitchen Witchery spells recipes and rituals for magical meals, an enchanted garden, and a happy home. Hmm. That's the full title. Because long titles make effective clickbait and SEO bait on Amazon, yeah. like other marketplaces. This is why On like, Etsy, they're like, oh, put as many keywords as you can in your titles. Yeah, this is why, like, Japanese light novels have, like, really long names, like... Campfire cooking in another world with my absurd skill is it's literally the title of a oh really oh, so it's Japanese translated. light novel. Well, yes, but also it's got like all these different keywords, right? I'm raising my hand. Is this a good time for me to just interject about kitchen witchery really quick? Uh, how about we finish the intro? But I don't know what you're going to say, so maybe it is a good time. I don't know. I just was going to clarify that there are a lot of um, kind of groups of witches that are like green witches, kitchen witches, sea witches, and they do not tend to be um, necessarily working within a certain tradition, more that like people have an affinity for those kinds of magic. And then it translates into whatever culture, because most cultures and traditions have different elements of that in their practices. That's all I was going to say. Well, that would be like neo-paganism, right? Or pagan reconstructionism, uh, where there's like a lot missing yeah, because it's like of a like focus col- on colonization. Yeah. And so it's like, well, I guess we'll just fill in the gaps with what we can figure out. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so from what I found, kitchen witchery is a component of neo-paganism, a religious movement defined more by what it is not. <laughs> uh, it's an attempt to reconstruct and redefine religious beliefs outside of like the mainstream religious beliefs, like the Abrahamic religions. So it's less of a specific practice and more of a catch-all term for the modern practice of beliefs that have been deemed historically pagan by Christianity. It's all very eclectic, and each practitioner is different and tends to put their own little spin on things. <laughs> so I'm going to do coverage of several food-related mancies that are adopted and modified by kitchen witches to later be used in their practice. Uh, we're going to be breaking some magic bread. Uh, no, really? <laughs> you had to do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Um... Uh, I couldn't find anything about magic bread. I mean, I found some, like, recipes that were like... Are we going to make magic Here's bread? Here's how to make magic bread. I mean, it's barley bread. Um, it's You can't but, eat it because you're gluten-free. Yeah. And also, it's just dry as fuck. And we'll talk about that more in okay. part two. Um, but... In this part, we're actually going to be using a kind of food magic that everybody 
is familiar with, and pretty much everybody in America, at least, has done. Fortune cookies. Fortune cookies? Fortune cookies are food divination. I am so excited to show you the way that I do fortune cookies. <laughs> oh, there's yeah. a, you have a way. Yeah, no, no, there's a specific way to doing fortune cookies, yes. And uh, L is gluten-free, so I yeah. will be consuming the fortune cookies, but yeah. we will be reading our own fortunes, and L will be doing interpretations of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, we went to Ocean Mart, which is my favorite uh, Asian it was food, quite food supply store. Yeah. They're cool, and they, they're huge. They're, there's lots of, like, diverse things on the shelf, and we bought a box of fortune cookies uh well it's it's a, it's a bin really we, we bought a yeah. bin of fortune cookies in case you wanted to binge on fortune cookies uh we were really looking for gluten-free fortune cookies but yeah uh, probably not happening that's no. not no 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 so anyway we're looking into each individual ingredient in the magic <laughs> bread and okay. the kind of magic associated with that like Oh. ingredient and then we're going to do the divination that's a dope way of doing this you yeah. killed it that's, such that's a good how idea. i figured out how to do it rj has been writing this episode for two weeks and has been like oh yeah. So, yeah so get ready and get hungry let's dive into kitchen witchery magic via food prepping and eating All right, so we've already actually covered three kinds of food magic on the podcast. We looked into oinomancy, which is alcohol divination. Alcohol is a food, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then we looked into tiromancy, which is cheese divination. So those bases are more or less covered. And technically, so it's more like two and a half, really. Technically, we did alectriomancy. What about tassiomancy? Which is, tea is a food, so I guess... Um, three and a half. Yeah, three and a half. Three and a half. Uh, and coffee, which is part of Tassiomancy. Yeah. So four and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, we technically did Alectriomancy. That's the half. It's chicken divination. But, like, the chickens were still alive and we weren't going to so eat them. So does it them. count? Yeah. So, I mean, it's technically food at a certain stage. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think, yeah, Jesse will ever eat those chickens. I'm pretty sure they're... Like pet chickens. Uh, I think you underestimate Jesse. Um, <laughs> I think he's eaten one of those chickens before, actually. Would Julia allow this? Probably. I saw chickens today that were out of their coop over by Jesse's house. And I was like, Ugh. it wasn't close just enough. For, around. They weren't Jesse's chickens. They were not close enough to, oh. to Jesse's to be Jesse's chickens. But there were like four of them. And I was like, someone come get Thank your God. chickens. Was it, what was the chicken's name? Frodo. Yeah, Frodo. Frodo they did our he had really nice um, the feathers on yeah. his feet. I think the most people have told us that Electromancy was their favorite episode that we've done, <laughs> and specifically the chickens clucking in the background. <laughs> it's pretty good. And while uh, we we've done chicken divination, um, we haven't done divination with their eggs. Mm. So that's going to be our first ingredient in our magic cake. Uh, so the first kind of food magic we're going to take a look at is ovomancy, divination with magic and eggs, also called oomancy. But Ooh. I felt like that would be weird to say. Oomancy. Ovomancy sounds like egg divination. Uh, them chickens ovums. Oh, oomancy. I know, them ovums. Like chick- <laughs> chicken eggs have been like a staple food, just eggs in general have been a staple food like all over the world. Yeah. They're highly nutritious, they're easy to farm, and they can be prepared in a variety of ways. They like they kind of rock like as a food source. They and they're really full of protein. Like they're really actually very nutritious. So of course people would have assigned like magic to eggs throughout history and even do magic with them today. Mm. Historically, ovomancy was done in ancient Greece and by the Celtic Druids. The methods and purpose were similar, though I am unable to determine if the Celts did it first or if the Greeks did it first. Chicken or the egg. Mm. <laughs> I hate this. Anyway, so much. <laughs> eggs are associated with fertility in cultures all Why? over the world because they're fucking eggs. I know I'm fucking with you. 
<laughs> so the historical reason to perform ovomancy is to determine the outcome of a pregnancy. A druid or an oracle would rub an uncooked egg over a pregnant mother's belly and then crack the egg into a small plate or bowl. Pretty much uh, anything to do with the process can inform the diviner, like the way the shell cracks, the shell fragments that might fall in, the location of the yolk, and more. Blood in the egg could portend a miscarriage. Mm. Multiple yolks could mean twins or triplets, depending on how many yolks. Yeah. All these different omens could determine the due date, the mother's recovery, or even the sex of the child. I thought you were going to say the sex by which it was no. acquired, the no. pregnancy. Oh. No, the sex of the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, another ovomancy ritual involves incubating, <laughs> incubating and hatching a fertilized egg rather than breaking it. Okay. One, the, the one ritual involves the expecting mother to put the egg between her breasts and the sex of the chick that hatches would match the sex of the mother's newborn. You just incubate an egg in your boobs. How? <laughs> Wait, like the whole time? The whole time. I mean, I don't know, maybe part time. I don't know. There's part of me it, that's it, like, it appears, I want to try based this. Based on my research, it appears as though the whole time. Okay, how long does it take for an egg to hatch? I have no idea. Like, let's ask the, let's ask the great googly moogly. Okay. How long until a chicken egg hatches? The great googly moogly says 21 days. I was going to say, but it's three weeks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's one way to have a gender <laughs> reveal party. <laughs> but it's just the chicken breaking out of its egg when you're in the yeah. market and it's, and it's like, you're like, oh, oh my oh, chicken fuck. is hatching. What's going on? It's pecking me. <laughs> and everybody at the market is like, it's a girl. Oh, <laughs> but you'd have to get the person who can sex chicks because it's very hard to tell what sex they are. Yeah. Maybe everyone knew. Gender is weird. Um, <sighs> yeah. Just, gender is weird. Uh, there's also like a few divination rituals that can be done beyond like the pregnancy magic. They'd hard boil the egg and like write the name of a god or goddess on one side and a, like a, you know, like a goal that you wanted to achieve or whatever. Okay. Like, I want to marry Jeff. And you would write that on the egg with the god or goddess's name. And then you'd roll that egg down a slope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yep. Whichever end of the egg was facing up. Uh, along with the direction it was pointing, would determine whether you would achieve your goal or if the gods favored you or rejected you. Huh. Okay. Uh, an ancient Norse uh, form of ovomancy is also a thing. Uh, they poke a hole in the top and bottom of an egg and blow out the egg white into a glass of water. They let it sit for a day and then scry the contents of the glass. Ew. <laughs> not have you not heard of this no i feel like you would have heard of this because in salem massachusetts before the infamous witch trials the young girls who would accuse their fellow community members would of do witchcraft, egg readings yeah they would perform ovomancy using this method i didn't know that was the method of how they did it uh-huh. it sounds legit i'm just thinking about day old egg white yeah uh, notably abigail williams and Elib- mm. elizabeth paris mm-hmm. they performed ovomancy the norse way by blowing the egg white into a glass of water the colonists called this the venus glass sexy i know it sounds like a like a hair metal band like a power metal band like give it up for venus glass everybody <laughs> uh the young girls <laughs> they would do this to determine whom they would marry, because why is it always course. that? Why is it always that? Why is it always patriarchy? that? Patriarchy. Um, yeah, that's when true. your whole life, when your whole life as a woman in these times is determined by who you will marry, then uh, yeah, it's kind of something you'd probably want to know in advance. Uh, of course, we all know how the Salem witch trials turned out. I was just having a moment earlier today where I was like, the next bonus episode I do, I'm going to write on the Salem witch trials. So this is a weirdly yeah moment. It's a moment. One preacher. Reverend John Hale Beverly described a few cases where ovomancy went terribly wrong. (gasps) Terribly, terribly wrong. Tell me. I'll quote him exactly. A young woman did try with an egg and a glass to find her future husband's calling till there came up a coffin. That is a specter in the likeness of a coffin. 
and she was afterward followed by a diabolical molestation to her death. Jesus. And so died a single person. And a just warning to others to take heed of handling the devil's weapons, lest they get a wound thereby. Anyway, she suffered the most terrible fate a Puritan woman could. She died single. Uh, single? <laughs> because of witchcraft? Let me Be- just say, because if it a, was... a coffin came up in the Venus class. Oh, I was going to say, uh, if she's using magic, or probably she's probably not single. But okay. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's a thing. But yeah. Uh, the other case Reverend Hale spoke about was, of course, the infamous witch trials. He stated that one of the young girls who was afflicted confessed to using the Venus glass before, like, to determine her future husband. He said that once this girl confessed, she was speedily released from the bonds of Satan. So there you go. All of that religious-fueled murder over a fucking egg. Over some egg white and a glass of water. I Just all that's like wild. It's like, well, it's the egg white and the water. That was it. That was the gateway for the devil. I know. That was the gateway drug with some egg white and, the, and water. <laughs> right. While eggs are associated with fertility, they're also associated with... The evil eye. Mm. Now, the evil eye itself is fascinating, and it's going to be the subject of our extra spell. And I'm just going to, like, lightly dust over the evil eye, but there's a lot with the evil eye. It might might even be its own episode later. It should be. It's dope. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but this extra spell is brought to you by Mancy Podcast on TikTok. Yep, that's (gasps) me making goofy videos. Hit the follow button to see what weird stuff I'm making. (laughs) Yeah, so the evil eye. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's an ancient superstition that has that permeates the entire world. It's one of those – it's crazy. It's like the, the night hag where like every single culture has like some sort of folklore version, yeah. about like a shadow person that sits on your chest, right? And it's it's like that. It's in every culture pretty much. And it has its roots in ancient Greece like many superstitions. Uh, we know this because we have artifacts from the area that were used for apotropaic magic. It's your word of the week. Apotropaic. Apotropaic. Apotropaic magic. Will you spell right. it? A-P-O-T-R-O-P-A-I-C. L, are you familiar with apotropaic magic? I just made you spell it. No. No? <laughs> Uh, so when I'm saying the evil eye has roots in ancient Greece, I mean this is the earliest like evidence that we have of it. Okay. You know? Yeah. So, so it probably existed before, but this yeah, is when we know that it this was. This is when we, yeah. the earliest we know of it. Uh, essentially, apotropaic magic is anti-hex magic. Oh. Specifically to ward off the evil eye. The ancient Greeks use what anthropologists call <laughs> eye cups. Uh, do you want me to spell that one? Yes. I-C-U-P. <laughs> <laughs> for series they're called eye cups spelled e-y-e <laughs> uh, we're just on one today I, honestly i think anthropologists are exactly as immature as they look um, yeah i agree uh basically these eye cups were goblets with eyes painted on them these would divert the gaze of the evil eye but what is the evil eye? And why does a cup with eyes on it divert the evil eye? <laughs> uh, I have honestly wondered this to be like for real. Well, uh, you're going to keep wondering. Um, essentially, the evil eye is synonymous with bad luck. It's the feeling of being watched as if you have drawn the attention of some malevolent being. Uh, there isn't a specific being uh, that the evil eye is attached to. It could be an evil spirit, a wrathful god, death itself. Doesn't matter. What matters is there's an evil eye looking at you and you have to distract it somehow. You can feel it. Yeah, it's like, oh, I've got the evil eye on me. You know, uh, I, I like to call Facebook's... Um, algorithm the evil eye mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like when it gets turned to you right when you get like one community guidelines violation because you get mass reported like whenever you get mass reported facebook's evil eye like turns on you yeah and RJ it, w- has it will literally the, the wrath of zuckerberg on him yeah it will literally like ban you before you even post 
If you like, as you're typing the word, when you hit send, immediate ban because the evil eye of the algorithm is turned on you. The algorithm knows. Yeah. Zuckerberg uh, is the one who has the evil eye. Anyway, yeah. Well, I mean, have you seen being. his eyes? I know. That's, that's, uh, honestly, that's our modern those, day Those aren't his real eyes. His evil eye is in his palms, actually. He goes like uh, this. Like fucking Jujutsu Kaisen. That's why, like, Trump can't, like, really hide how much of a um, snake person, you know, the, the reptilian overlord, because his hands are too small. So he can't cover them all the way. They had to send him out there. They were like, well, you don't get the whole thing. but So Apotropaic magic exists literally all over the world in the form of talismans, prayers, and banishing spells. Uh, one you're probably familiar with is the Humps of Mm -hmm. West Asia. Uh, The Hamsa also exists in Jewish culture to divert the evil eye, although they call it the Hand of Miriam. Mm -hmm. Uh, In Muslim culture, it's called the Hand of Fatima. Uh, It's also said that shiny things like mirrors and certain polished metals and gems can distract the evil eye because it's like, ooh, a shiny. I was going to curse you, but there's a shiny thing. And many of these talismans are made with glass, crystal, or they're bejeweled. Uh, Another running theme is to create a target-shaped symbol or another eye, because the evil eye doesn't like to make eye contact, I guess. Okay. The evil eye is like, I'm looking at you. You can't be looking at me. I'm looking at you. You can't be looking at me. I think that they just look cool, but yeah, I truly don't. I don't get it, really. I had a friend whose mom loved the evil eye. Like, that was her thing. And I'm like, okay. Another thing that diverts the evil eye is grotesque images, like grotesquerie. Because it's like, ew, ugly. Don't want to look at that. Uh, So the evil, you just have to out-evil it? Yeah, so you just have to out-evil it. By doing something gross. Gross shit. Typically, these is in the form of statues. So if you've ever wondered why cathedrals are adorned with, like, grotesque gargoyles. Oh, gargoyles. That's why. To ward off the evil eye and also to frighten witches. They're like, oh, no. No, those are our friends. Oh, no, the gargoyles. They're our friends. Yeah, I've I've seen the Gargoyles animated series. It's good. You know, they're they're, they're our protectors. Um, It was also believed that witches could cast the evil eye on somebody. They could be like, get them, evil eye. And the evil eye would be like, who, where? I'm looking at him. I'm looking at him. They're screwed now. I'm looking at him. Uh, <laughs> Do you feel creeped out yet? <laughs> yeah. In Greece and Turkey, people with green and blue eyes were exceptionally rare. It was believed that these people could bestow the evil eye curse, intentionally or unintentionally. Mm. Thus why a vicious glare is sometimes called giving someone the evil eye. Yeah, I would say that's the context that's most hard in, and that sounds like maybe the most kind of accurate. Yeah, but you got to have blue or green eyes. I do. I have... I don't know what color. You cast the evil eye on people. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's how the, the like, that was how it was passed. Um, d- drawing, like, a solitary eye as a sigil and positioning it so that it faces the target is another way to uh, cast the evil eye on someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like, in pop culture, somebody be like, why do I feel cursed all the time? And then they'll move their bed and under the bed someone's drawn <gasps> And there's like a dead bird in the middle of it or something. Honestly, that would be enough to just freak someone out. Like, you don't, it doesn't even have to work. It could just be like, if you find an eye underneath your bed, you're fucking creeped out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how you cast the evil. And then people are like, oh, this is why I'm fucking cursed. Mm. But that's the point of atropaic magic because you can turn the evil eye against the person who casts it. Oh, so it just is like a reflector. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. You just have to point it. Uh, or use a mirror. Uh, in, in China, you'd, you'd use a mirror. When we talked about how in China the mirrors were good luck because they would reflect bad energy oh, back. yeah, yeah. That's, that's how. You'd reflect the evil eye back in the direction of the caster. But first got to find out the caster. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. This is like folklore stuff. But uh, yeah, and like one of the ways, one of the, the people who were really suspicious about the evil eye uh, were merchants, travelers. And soldiers. Like, these were the main people who were like, I do not want this and I am scared of this. So they would always have to figure out some kind of protection against the evil eye. It's just like anybody with a lot to lose had to be prepared for the evil eye. Oh, okay. Merchant ships were painted with eyes. 
I don't know if if you like look at like ancient some ancient Greek ships and stuff, they're painted with eyes on the side, so it looks like they've got like a mean face. Um, <laughs> but that's to divert the evil eye, and that tradition was uh, adopted into fighter planes, like you, the fighter oh, planes, yeah, like yeah. the shark teeth and the eyes on the side. Yeah, yeah. evil eye. Mm. Um, it's to uh, reflect uh, or divert the evil eye, so that you would get lucky in the fight. Hmm. Um, in Turkey, there's a charm called a nazar, which is a target-shaped eye. And you can find nazars like today, like in cars, necklaces, doors, hanging from trees. Uh, it's even on modern airplanes, like Turkish airlines. Oh, yeah? Puts it on their planes because they find that it puts passengers at ease knowing that the it's evil the eye. Blue, it's the blue one, right? The... Right. Okay. Right. Uh, let me let me find it for you. When I went to Turkey and Greece, they were just fucking everywhere. I mean, yeah. they're really cool. Yeah, yeah, they are everywhere. Like uh, you can get them on necklaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like an amulet. It looks like this. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think they look so cool. Let's divert the evil eye. Hmm. Uh, so if you ever wondered why that's on Turkish planes. That's why. I thought it was just mostly like uh, associated like culturally that it's like a cultural thing. But I, mean, it, I kind it of. It is, but it's yeah. like a good luck thing. Okay. It, it's like to ward off like bad, bad vibes. Uh, no plane is going to disappear if it has the evil eye on it. Yeah, never. That's the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With all the planes that disappear. Because <laughs> yeah. there are quite a few lately. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, which brings us back to eggs. <laughs> Why did you say, oh, no, the planes disappear. Those planes are disappearing, and that's actually kind of sad. Um, but we're back to eggs now. We're talking about eggs. One of the ways to tell if you've been afflicted with the evil eye curse is to use an egg. It's rolled all over your body, every inch, and then the egg is cracked into a bowl or glass half full of water. It's a special Venus glass just without the egg white. The result would let you know if someone has cast the evil eye on you. Uh, there's a lot more I can go into about the evil eye. It's like a pretty crazy and pervasive. We got it. Yeah, we we should definitely do an episode. Maybe on we'll that. do an episode on hex magic and like talk extensively about it. Because hex magic is like huge. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's I think probably the oldest form besides love magic. Hex, hex girls. Magic. Um. But, yeah. Sorry, Scooby Doo reference. Uh, <laughs> a little Scooby Doo reference for you. Uh, <laughs> we are like all over the place yeah. today. It's fine. It's great. And. uh yeah, it's pretty crazy. This legend is like on every continent. Yeah, but that's all I got for the extra spell for now. Just a little teaser about the evil eye. So let's uh, let's go back and do kitchen witchery. This extra spell was brought to you by our official TikTok. Just search at Mancy Podcast, and you'll find me. I post all kinds of stuff on there: poetry, history, spoopy magic stuff, dumb jokes, and just occasionally I make fascists very angry, and they get mad at me in the comments. It's uh, a good time. So yeah, come check it out and chill with me on TikTok. Now back to kitchen witchery. We've spent a lot of time talking about eggs. Let's talk about the next ingredient in the cake. Flour. Okay. Divination with flour is called alluromancy, which is different than uh, alieromancy with an I, which is cat divination, which is an episode I really want to do. Um, (laughs) But yeah, A-L-E-U-R-O-mancy, alieromancy. The first mention of flower divination is really, really old. Like, you know it's the real shit when it's on a cuneiform tablet. Yeah, It's from shit. the second millennium BC, meaning ancient Sumeria. Uh, the tablets describe a divination method where flour is poured out and the shape of the heap is interpreted as an omen for the future. Hmm. You okay. could, alternatively, pour flour into a bowl Add water to create a slurry, and then pour the excess water out. The flower goobers would then be scribed by an oracle. Like the slurry goobers and clumps. Hmm. Another recorded method is uh, slips of paper containing philosophical sayings would be mixed into the flour and baked into the cake or cookies or whatever the fuck you're making. <gasps> Whoever got the paper in their cake or cookie with the writing, that's who the philosophical saying would apply to. 
That's fun. I want to do that. The ancient Greeks had a similar method where they would hide little like philosophies in a ball of dough and then mix the ball of dough nine times. Specifically, it says nine times mm-hmm. to randomize them. And doesn't this sound familiar? Because that's kind of what fortune cookies are. Yeah. A divination method I'm sure we're all familiar with. While fortune cookies are not from ancient Greece or ancient Sumeria, they're also not from China either. Uh, They're actually uh, Asian-American invention, really, um, that have subtle roots in Japan. We're going to talk about that. Uh, But they possibly took inspiration from these older alieromancy methods. Hmm. So saying that they're like an entirely American invention would be false. Like some of you may remember Iron Man 3, like the main villain is the Mandarin. And in the in the trailer and like in the movie, he makes these like terrorist threats where he's like, fortune cookies are an American invention because America ruins everything and takes credit and tries to kill coaches. I'm an anarchist. Boo. And then it turns out the Mandarin is just an actor for the real villain. It's spoilers for Iron okay. Man 3, I guess. You've, yeah. you've had like a decade, okay? Go. Yeah, it's, it's, you, it's yeah. yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was like a big deal because everybody found out like, fortune cookies aren't Chinese. Uh, fortune cookies are an American invention. Like when Iron Man 3 came out. Yeah, that was like. <laughs> that was like the thing people were freaking out about in the trailer. I feel like I learned that they weren't Chinese from that, but I did not know that that... You know how, like, you just assimilate information into right. your consciousness? Yeah. I feel like that's what happened. But, I mean, they're not an entirely American invention. Mm-hmm. So the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 isn't exactly correct either. Okay. Uh, aside from the Greek roots, they also have roots in Japan. In the 19th century, so it's still fairly recent, in Kyoto, proto-fortune cookies were being made. They were There's, like, a long-standing tradition of performing divination by drawing sacred lots called omikuji. Uh, they had the idea to place the omikuji lots inside of some rice crackers. It's like a fun way to entice people to draw the lots. Okay. So unlike the Greek method where it was just like, hopefully you get lucky and you get the one with the saying in it. This was like every single one has a saying in it, but you don't know what saying is going to be in it. And your lot is going to determine the future. Oh. Uh, these crackers were called sui jura. I hope I said that right. Sui jura. But you know what's better? Than crackers? What? Cookies. (laughs) (laughs) So they began baking cookies with miso and sesame. So they're still a little savory and just a little bit sweet, Mm -hmm. but they weren't like rice crackers. But they were baked in a similar shape as the crackers with a little bend and a fold to create like a little pocket for them to slip the fortune into. Mm. Is it a cracker? Is it a cookie? It's suijira. I wish that we should do like a live stream of this because RJ just was like moving back and forth in his chair, like sliding. It was like, it's the word that I can't pronounce. And it was really funny. Now, these Suijura cookies were just like a novelty at Temple. They weren't like part of this like big spiritual like movement. They were just like, <laughs> this is kind of fun. Uh, and they started doing them at temples, to like encourage people to go to the temples and eat yeah. cookies. Because it's fun. Kind of, yeah, I would do that. Yeah. Uh, of course, they wouldn't really catch on until they were introduced in America. Mmm. Makoto Hagiwara of Golden Gate Park's Japanese Tea Garden in San Francisco is reported to have been the first person in the U.S. to have served the modern version of the cookie. When he did so at a tea garden party in uh, like 1890s, early 1900s. There isn't like a sentence. I was going to ask you when. The fortune cookies were made by a San Francisco bakery, Benkyodo. Of course, there are those who would dispute this, also claiming to have invented the cookie. Thus, the great fortune cookie dispute. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Makoto's claim was disputed by David Young, founder of the Hong Kong Noodle Company. David says he invented the fortune cookie in 1918 in Los Angeles. And another claim was made by Seiichi Kito, founder of Fugetsudo of Little Tokyo in Los Angeles. Seiichi claimed that he invented the cookies uh, because he was inspired by the cookies he got in temples in Japan. According to his claim, he began selling the cookies to Chinese restaurants. And this is his proof 
uh, because fortune cookies are more popular in Chinese restaurants than Japanese ones. Mm. Clearly something had to be done. Something had to be done about this. This blasphemer. Critical that we know the truth. Uh, the true creator of fortune cookies had to be sussed out. Yeah. In America, we have to know. Who, we who are not a nation. Stuff. Yeah. You, you cannot culturally accept, oh, this thing came out of nowhere or it just is a thing that arose. No. Yeah, Americans it, must. Because if it comes know. out of nowhere, someone has to swoop in and take credit for it. Uh, right? Capitalism. Yeah. So, so we had to figure this out, this mystery. <laughs> and in 1983, San Francisco's Court of Historical Review wanted to get to the bottom of it. They were like, it is important history that we determine who, where the fortune cookie was invented. Was it invented in San Francisco or was it invented in Los Angeles? We will decide in a court of law. How does one decide? I don't know. Okay. Court of historical review, um, I guess. Uh, so all the evidence was gathered by all the people who had connections to the claim. Of course, a lot of these people were dead. I was going to say, so, what year like, did this happen? 1983. So a hundred years later, yeah, the first claim was like nineteen hundred at the at the latest. <sighs> that is, and like that is the time in American history when capitalism got really bad. I know when we had to know it was really right? bad. Yeah, we had to know who got the credit. Anyway, um, all the evidence was ga- gathered, including a very old fortune cookie. <laughs> this is the legend is that it was the oldest fortune cookie in existence okay and nobody knew what the fortune said inside how could rj would fucking smash that like give me that he cannot handle it i feel like the the poetic thing would be to leave it but what did they do i give me a little more credit i would have left it i would have been like i don't want to know at this point it's more romantic to leave it as a mystery i can just make up in my head what it's Anytime we buy any, like, souvenir, anything, like, Meow Wolf, um, RJ got, like, several different, like, pops and stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to put this on my shelf. He's like, no. How will you know what it tastes like? I'm like, I don't fucking want to know what it tastes like. It's just cool to have it. Anyway. Oh, you mean soda. Soda pop. Not like Funko Pops. I was like, I don't remember getting Funko Pops. (laughs) Like the energy drink. I know one of them was, like, an energy drink. Yeah, I I had to taste them. You had to know. Why would I buy it and not taste it? I can still keep the can as like a commemorative. See, well, I guess, yeah, the fortune cookie would be gone, but you'd still have the fortune if you smashed it. So, like, I'm just saying. But Any- you could you could age test the paper. That's my guess. <laughs> anyway, the judge at the federal court of historic review cracked that son of a Ye- bitch open. With his gavel. <laughs> I, I hope. I would like, like to think so. I'm just going to pretend that it was with his I'd gavel. I'd like to think that he gaveled the, the cookie <laughs> open. <laughs> Elle, do you know what that fortune said? Probably fucking nothing. That would have been the very Buddhist thing, wouldn't it? Uh, but no, it did say something. Um, the name of the maker on the back. Dumber but better. Okay. It said, SF judge who rules for LA, not a very smart cookie. <laughs> Fucking with him. Just fucking with him. So who knows how the fuck that got in there? That's the legend, though. Was that the the oldest cookie, though? Yeah, that's the legend. (laughs) Amazing. So this federal judge in the Court of Historic Review determined that the cookie originated from Makoto Hagiwara. Uh, and ended up ruling in favor of San Francisco as the birthplace of restaurant fortune cookies. <laughs> well, he was threatened, or well, he was said he, he was got called dumb. <laughs> yeah, he's not a very smart cookie. He'd be dumb if he, if he went for <laughs> L.A. Um, currently, there are three billion fortune cookies made every year. The vast majority are distributed in America. The vast majority also feature lucky numbers on the back. L, how many people do you think have won the lottery with those numbers, with fortune cookie numbers? Six. Six total? Mm-hmm. Final answer? Sure. 110. Wow, that's kind of a lot. 110, actually. Enough that it led to an investigation into Wonton Foods fortune cookie <laughs> factory from the authorities. Like, how, said, But how could you do they, that, they though? They sent the fucking gaming commission in to 
see if they were cheating how, at the lottery. How could they cheat at numbers that have not yet been picked? And why would they cheat when they're not the ones that get the yeah, lottery winnings? Like, uh, they're like figuring out like, oh yeah, all these people that won off of fortune cookie numbers, they're secretly tied to big fortune cookie. Big uh, fortune cookies out here stealing our money. Stealing our lottery money. <laughs> So, unshockingly, the investigation did not turn up anything yeah. suspicious. It's just probability. Yeah, I was going to say, There's I mean. a limited number of numbers used in the lottery and a limited number of numbers used as fortune Everywhere, yeah. And they happen to both be two-digit numbers. So, like, you know, anyway. And now, L. RJ. I've got my fortune cookies here. Do you know where they're from? We have our tub of fortune cookies. You know where they're from? I do, but it's going to ruin it if I say it. Los Angeles. We tried. RJ looked. I was, he was like, like, we, we got to get San Francisco. San Francisco once. Nope. Nope. They, they only, only had, had they only Angeles. had LA. Uh, and I think there was one from Wisconsin, but L was like, oh, those are the not good ones. <laughs> yeah, those are they, good. They were also like, they were packaged in like a, a trash bag. <laughs> they were. <laughs> so I was well, like, I don't know how ones. sturdy these ones are. No, those are the ones that um, some, like a lot of um, Chinese restaurants give out and they don't ever have very good fortunes on them. Oh, you know what? Those ones were individually wrapped. Yeah, those ones That's taste the, the best, but these, they have the worst fortune. But I looked at these cookies and I was like, these shits are made with love. They're, they're thick. They're flaky. I even ate one because I was tempted. Yeah. They're okay, delicious. Okay, well, no. Should we tell the story of how we acquired these, though? Like at Ocean Mart? <laughs> Why, RJ, if the place that you get fortune cookies is Chinese restaurants, why did we have to go to Ocean Mart to get fucking fortune cookies? uh, Okay, so here's the thing. I was like, well, why don't we go to a Japanese place that has fortune cookies because that's where they're from. They're from Japanese-American restaurants. And we're just going to go get, like, multiple of them. Yeah, we're just going to ask for extras at the end of our meal. And uh, we're at... We're, sushi place. Yeah, we're we're like big sushi people, so we probably routinely eat from like three or four different sushi places. I would yeah. say. So we're like, oh, we're gonna go to the fancy one because they always have fortune cookies. Yeah, and they were like, oh, we don't have those, but I'll give you some extra mints. And I was like, no, it's fine. And she already had walked away, and she gave us so many. And she gave us like and they're two not, hands. They're full. not good mints. I like them. They're, I mean, they're in my they're, purse now. They're like chocolate covered pillow mints, so they're like a large sixlet, but it's hard. I don't think they were so that you, hard. you like scrape the chocolate off with your <laughs> tongue as you try to like chew it in vain. RJ does not like sticky things. I don't like sticky. Like I don't like things. things things that are surprising inside my mouth. Like surprise me outside <laughs> of my mouth. But if I bite down and it's a surprise, what, all was I that know horrifying the first time you had it. Then kind of yeah. <laughs> so it was like the Tobiko. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah. Oh. See, but. The people told me they're like, this pops in your mouth, and then I was like, okay, I can like prepare you, myself. You can know right. I what just happens? popped this son of a bitch in my mouth and, and was like, down really oh, hard. no, that's the worst when it's a hard thing. Like it pops in your mouth. That can be kind of delightful when yeah. it like hurts. No. Anyway, yeah, we tried to get fortune cookies. We could not. We had to buy the tub of fortune cookies. But I also got some tan, some tan, some canned boba tea. And so that was that was fun too. Yeah, and we got some ramune matcha. Yeah, flavor. we did. We also got mochi balls. We had we had the we had the Asian. We, we locked down day. the the candy aisle. We yeah. locked down the candy. And oh cookie yeah, aisle. we were ready. <laughs> that whole aisle was just <laughs> awesome. And then Elle got some kava, which apparently makes you hallucinate. So. Um, so RJ was like looking it up, and he was like, "Kava means intoxication." <laughs> N- no, it means bitter. The Greek name of the plant means intoxication, or no, the Latin name of the plant means intoxication. Yes, I did get some kava. I'm going to drink some and see what happens later. Anyway, let's do some fortune cookie readings. All right. Okay, so we actually, before we did the fortune cookie divination, we took a little break because it's the Fringe Festival, and Elle and I had tickets to a show. Uh, We went to see The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, which is maybe my favorite romantic poem. And it was adapted into a stage play. And I'm like, okay, this is one that I really want to go see. We also have fond memories of The Lighthouse because we saw it for the first time together. Bad luck to kill a seabird. <laughs> and when we were going to it, we were in line. Um, we were standing with the the girl I was dating at the time. And this guy, like, we're like, oh, we'd like three tickets to The Lighthouse, please. And this guy, like, right in front of us, him and his wife turned around. And they were like, don't do it. Don't see it. It was awful. And then the, like... um 
box office person was like, oh, it was great. And we decided that both things were true. And so... I guess you're getting two stories. Uh, I feel No, I feel really this, fondly. I want to yeah. tell people I feel fondly about this show. Yeah, and um, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner has heavily influenced The Lighthouse. It's like a poem from... Like, oh, yeah, fucking, it's like, pretty much, Like yeah. fucking 1780 or some shit um, about a sailor... <laughs> Uh, this free bonus content for everybody because it's a short episode. Uh, so, uh, it's a, <laughs> this should be like our extra spell. That's like yeah. totally. So yeah. the, the rhyme of the ancient mariner is about a, a sailor who confronts a guy at a wedding, and he's like, "I have to tell you my sea story," and he rambles on about how uh, he was on an exploration voyage and they got lost in a fog, but then there was an albatross that showed up because the souls of dead sailors live in seabirds and they're angels or whatever the albatross leads them out of the fog and then the sailor is like you know what fuck that albatross and he shoots it with his crossbow Mm -hmm. Uh, and then after that the other sailors are like you've damned us and they make him wear the albatross around his neck and that's where we get the phrase you i'm wearing an albatross around my neck this poem is also where we get the phrase water water everywhere and not a drop to drink Um, yeah i loved it i loved it when they said that it was so good so so they're doing this, like, adaption, and I, I wouldn't say it was totally faithful to the poem, but it was definitely, like, more dramatic. Like, they made some good dramatic choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the there's, like, this audience interaction because the audience, we're the wedding guest that's having this poem rambled to them, right? And the oh, is Mariner, that what it was? I didn't get it. Yeah. I was like, what so the we're, fuck? So we're the wedding guest <laughs> having this poem rambled to us, um, and the the sailor, because, you know, the whole crew, like, dies of starvation, and then death and life and death are playing dice for the albatross mariner's soul, and life and death wins, and the life and death is like, haha, you're cursed to live forever now. Uh, and he's like, yeah. ah, this is the worst. But now I appreciate nature. And the albatross falls off his neck. And he's uh, marveled by the splendor of God's creations. And then his crew rises from the dead with the souls of angels in them. And they sail him back to land. And now he has to wander the earth and tell everybody his sins. And honestly, being a uh, cursed sailor that wanders from town to town to tell everyone my <laughs> sins is, for all eternity is a career aspiration I've had for a long time. That's why I bought the RV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's much easier. <laughs> so it can be, listen to my sea story. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so because we're this wedding guest, right, they want to keep reiterating this sort of like fourth wall That we're involved. Thing. Yeah. yeah. So he's doing like audience interaction where he's like, he asks an audience member a question like, who do you love more than anyone? But the audience was not having it. Well, they were and not he, like, interacting. He very specifically, I feel like, so we were a little bit late because we were recording the episode and we were like, oh, fuck, got to get over there. But we had to like... Uh, park the car and there were no parking spots. We had to like run over. So we like rush in like a minute late and we sit down. And this guy met RJ last night at um, the, the French Festival preview because I've yeah, got a show preview. in the French. Yeah. So RJ is doing like the French. And so we came in together. And when we sat down, the guy looked at me and he was like, yep, this is the target. This is the one that I'm going to yeah, ask. So the guy to. turns and he asks L while having his like dead sailor first mate like leaned up against him. In yeah. The and that was creepy. Like, and he. He was like, what's the worst thing you've ever done? Like, right to L. And, like, I could tell L was like, no, I'm not doing I'm this. I'm not doing it. And, I won't. <laughs> and I'm over here, like, I am. I have an audience interaction play in the show. I want to give him the courtesy that I want to have in my show. But what do you say? And I also what do you say know what it's like percent? when I'm doing, like, a poem and, like, I'm asking the audience to interact and they don't. Like, it's it's heartbreaking and it, like, throws you off for, like, the rest of your life. So, so I, I had sympathy for this man. And I just said... I shit myself on a roller coaster, <laughs> which happened when I was a kid my first time at Disneyland. Like, I just want everyone to know we're in. So the French Festival is inside of the Gateway, which is like a defunct It's, it's a dead mall. mall. Yeah, it's a, it's a so, defunct mall. So they take over some of the store spaces and turn them into like theater spaces. And so this was inside of like a dead urban Yeah, it was in, in the carcass of an urban Yeah, outfit. and like like the fucking um, floors are still painted. Like the right, like it looks really beautiful, but there's nothing in it. And you have to walk all the way through this department store into the back where they have just curtains set up and then they have some risers and probably like 50 chairs. Hey, Elle, you know what? Everybody wants to know how I shit myself no. on a roller coaster. No, they want to they know how fucking <laughs> absurd this was. So we're sitting in this dead fucking urban elevator. <laughs> On a Friday night, and 
um, he looks at me and he's like, what's the worst thing you've ever done? And I'm straight up fucking sitting there and I'm like, remember that time I called my dad a fuck up? Like, remember that? <laughs> Do I tell all these people I called my dad a fuck up when I picked him up from jail? Like, well, do I maybe do not that? the best audience interaction question. Just right, that I know. There. Like, and so I, I, I was like, please don't. And he, he was holding in there. He was really looking at me, and he was like. I, I saw his eyes kind of dart to me. Yeah. And so RJ just, it's silent. It's silent. There's probably 15 people in the audience. It's us. It's the five actors. RJ just goes, <laughs> I shit my pants on a roller coaster. And I burst out laughing. The comedian behind us bursts out laughing. And no one else knows what to do except the fucking actor breaks. Like, it just fucking broke him. And he bursts out laughing. And then he's like, ah, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, the best the best was afterwards, right? He he was like, uh, okay, what if we all said the worst thing we've ever done together? So, yeah. the, so, so I think Loki, he was counting on nobody answering. But then the second time is when we're supposed to answer. He's like, what if we all say it together so that we all can't hear it, but we all let it out? And so he's like, okay, ready? One, two, three. I shit my pants on and I'm the only one that does it. I'm the only one that does it. These fucking cowards didn't say a word. And so <laughs> I shit my pants on what the fuck, guys? And I like turn and I'm like, what the fuck? The comedian is shitting his pants yeah, behind he me. This is so funny. He thinks it's so funny. And I'm sure he also remembered RJ from last night. It just like in that moment, I just was like, um, is this a thing that RJ is just doing because he yes ands everyone? Is this a thing that has actually happened? Oh my God, these people are now looking at me, this poor man. And then when RJ doubled down, it was like, I should, and he just yelled it, and just everyone else was silent. And it was like this really dark part of the play where this fucking captain who's gone insane is like playing finger puppets with his fucking dead crew. And it just, it lingered. You know, it just was, it was just there. Like we all just had yeah. to like sit there and deal with the fact the, the that fringe, there's a man. The memories you make at Fringe Festival last a <laughs> lifetime. this man who came in late who shit his pants on a roller coaster once. <laughs> and if you're fucking wondering, <laughs> I was like 12. It was my first time at Disney. We were at California Adventure. We rode the roller coaster that has the Mickey Mouse. Were you with your Aunt but, Christy? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I was with my whole family, oh, including Aunt Christy. This okay. was Disneyland. Aunt Christy took me to Disney World for my graduation. Anyway, uh, right. so I had been eating like nonstop just like festival Junk. food. Yeah. And I have IBS, and it's yeah. really, really tough in my 13-year-old body. And I had also been drinking fucking Mountain Dew all fucking day. Yeah, and like my parents and don't shit, give a right? shit. My yeah. parents are like, coffee is a sin, but chug Mountain Dew. Uh, no. And the caffeine was going through my little 13-year-old self. And then we hit the loop-de-loop -loop on the roller coaster. <laughs> and right at the peak, it forces all the shit out of my body. There's like liquid diarrhea out of my pants. Some oh. of it goes down my leg, but some of it is ejected out of the back of my pants. And like flings and it, I think it struck some people there was a puddle on my seat like somebody had to clean that up I was shamed this is trauma I will never get over it's maybe it, I mean it's not the worst thing I've ever done the worst thing I've ever done is I, I think I might have there's a poem called a seance for the boy I let die that's yeah. the worst thing I've ever done anyway um, there's also a poem called deceit and I that's pretty bad um, yeah. the, the worst thing I've ever done is in a poem but I didn't have time for a full poem I didn't have time to just air my trauma so I just said to shit my pants on the roller coaster thing because everybody would understand that immediately and now here we are everybody's a coward nobody will admit that they also shit themselves on roller coasters i don't <laughs> i don't do that <laughs> anyway it's not a thing that a lot of people do i just you know and like last week rj also <laughs> confessed something to me that i can't share because he's like this is the deepest secret like i've held on to the secret for so long so i'm not going to share it but i'm just oh, saying it happened on I, a ferris I will share wheel it. i i i was like 10 and my dad took me to the ferris wheel at liberty park I'm, i just need to admit this because i've held it in for so long my dad took me to the ferris wheel at liberty park i was at the top my 10 year old self was like how high up am i and i spit over the edge and it lands on a kid's head and his grandpa like sees it and he goes damn birds and he rubs it into this kid's head and I felt that <laughs> in my soul my every day is, since he thinks that a bird shit on his grandson and he just rubbed it in he was like this is fine <laughs> like what what anyway um in case I know that I feel like people wonder like if we're really as like wild as we seem to be on the show and it just gets worse 
It's like weirder. Anyway, uh, this was your free bonus content sponsored by me on uh, TikTok. We gotta find some extra music at Mancy Podcast on TikTok. I'll, you know what? I we'll just use the the old shit that we've been using. It's fine. Uh, it's <laughs> at Mancy Podcast on TikTok, and if you're a Patreon supporter, you will get access to uh, bonus content like this all the time. <laughs> anyway. It is now officially time. Fortune cookie. For our fortune cookie readings. Okay, I've got my tub of fortune cookies right here. Oh, you can hear them. L? Actually, no, I have to pick you my have to own. Pick. You have to pick. So we ha- you pick your fortune cookie and then don't do anything. Okay. My fortune cookie. I want to pick your fortune. And these fortune cookies are delicious. They, they look delicious. Look how thick. Look how thick these fortune cookies are. Thick. They are thick. The thick maker boys. of these fortune cookies is Amy's Fortune <clears throat> Cookies from Amy's Bakery and Noodle Co. This is definitely when we get sued for product LA. placement. It's going to be this one. Listen, no spawn, okay? I just want to shout out Amy. All right? A M A Y. Like she made killer cookies. That's that's not a lie. I'm not paid to say this. Hey, Amy, no, no, don't, 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 okay. don't, don't open it. No, I'm, I'm just getting in position. <laughs> you went to open I'm it, getting sorry. in position to open my cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Calm down. <Don't> Elle <laughs> is acting like she shit herself on a roller coaster. All right. That's gonna be our first Mancy podcast sticker. Is I shit myself on a roller coaster and it looks like an award badge. You know, turning negatives into positives. Um, you know what? Email us if you want that sticker. If we get, we get if we get ten more Patreon subscribers, we'll roll, we'll roll out some stickers within six months. No, three months. Three months after this episode comes out. We'll so that'll put us at the beginning of November. We'll, ma- we'll make it a stick. Okay. Um, take your fortune cookie. Okay. Say it's true and it's about, and then say what it's about. It's true and it's about my degree. Okay. So now you're going to split it in half. Do not look at the paper. Eat the, the half that didn't have, like, when you pull it apart... Fuck, I lost it. The part that keeps the paper, leave that. Yep, eat that. I gotta eat the pieces that fell. Yep. Oh. Off the fucking floor. (laughs) I'm blowing them off. (laughs) That's some ASMR right there. Okay, once you're done eating it, you can pull your fortune out and read it. Trigger warning for food noise. Seconds in the past. Anyway, what what was that? (laughs) Um, Take out your fortune and read it. You will soon be honored by someone you respect. My numbers are 6, 15, 25, 37, 39, comma, 10. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think I need to interpret that for you. Well, I can tell you what happened. Uh, water for food and again. Oh, hey, you know what? This is the last part of the fortune cookie um, ritual. Oh, no. This is Nancy's part. Okay. Okay. Your mom's part? We should... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Pick up your fortune again. Read it again. You will soon be honored by someone you respect. In bed. That's not not Nancy's thing. Yes, it is. No, Every time. Every time you get a fortune cookie. That is a thing that I have been doing since junior high school. Like me and my shitty friends have been doing. That's an American. part of the ritual. That is a shitty American tradition. And Um, I will not let Nancy take the credit. So I got the it's true and it's about from my best friend from high school's French mom. Who had like a Chinese buffet that she loved to eat at whenever I would go visit them. So. Yeah. I will say that this may have happened because um, my uh, professor for my video game storytelling class really liked one of my discussion posts because I always do like fucking novels about dumbass philosophy and shit and occasionally plug my podcast. Um, uh, (laughs) Have you really? (laughs) Yeah, I I was talking about we were talking about avatars and identity and I mentioned tulpas. Oh, right. Okay, I saw that. Um, Yeah. Anyway. 
he was like, uh, this is great. And I also deeply criticize um, Ready Player One for being misogynistic. Yeah. And just nerd culture in general for being misogynistic. There's like a whole shit going down in like fucking Blizzard. Anyway, there's like – there, yeah. Anyway, so I brought all that up and I was like, this is why it's important that we recognize that Gary Gygax uh, – we can still enjoy D&D, but we have to recognize that Gary Gygax was a misogynist and we have to work those parts out of D&D. Anyway, yeah. he was like, I really respect that. Oh, uh, and this is incredible. And then I think he, posted, he said astonishing. Yeah, astonishing. He posted a YouTube link and he was like, this is astonishing in my like grade response. And I went to the link, and it's my own fucking poem. Yeah, his professor <laughs> sent him his poem. My professor found out that I'm, like, a semi-famous slam poet. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, you could just ask um, the the poet laureate of Utah who's in the office next to you about it. Um, <laughs> but whatever. Well, and earlier today in one of RJ's classes, he got his midterm paper grade back. And it, he got a 90, not because of the 90 content. 90 out of 100. Yeah, not not because of the content, but because he didn't follow Emily format. I know. My professor was like, this is an incredible paper and an extremely nuanced uh, take. However, you need to format your paper in MLA. And I'm just like. Fuck MLA. I'll take the 10-point deduction yeah, and write a better you. paper than MLA I'll will ta- allow. Yeah, I'll take my <laughs> Anyway, I was like, because I didn't know which professor had said that. So I was like, you should be like, yeah, and yet I'm still taking 90s right. over MLA. Ni- that's me. Like a good paper is better than a good score. I'll take the 90. Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> it's true. And it's about finding an agent because that's going to line up with. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Are you going to eat through Because <laughs> I can't eat it. Zero warning from Food Noise. <clears throat> the current year will bring you much happiness in bed. I was telling you not to get an agent. Is it? The I don't know. Well, year... you're the psychic. You fucking interpret it. take it as like yes and this year like to do it this year your current year oh i thought it said your current you will bring you much happiness. oh no your current year oh, okay so yeah but you can see how i would think yeah for that um l asked this same question of a tiktok uh, person that i follow a tiktok psychic that i follow and normally i fucking don't like Can't. TikTok psychics. I like TikTok like magic creators that talk about like their practice. You know, I like TikTok creators that like um, do like fun tarot readings just in general. I don't like the really spammy like uh, hacky psychics that are like, I'll tell you who your true love is. Call my phone number that I put in this picture. <laughs> like, no. Yeah. Uh, but this this one, they are my favorite psychic on tiktok mm-hmm. they are the hot sauce oracle Hot sauce oracle. their handle is at slogdobber <laughs> s-l-o-g-d-o-b-b-e-r don't you always wonder about people's handles you know what i don't because this person's attitude is just that the, way that way and they're incredible I, I i love them how they do it they have a drawer of hot sauce from? From Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. And this, these are the hot sauces that have the sayings. Mm-hmm. And they draw one out like a lot. See if it's in upright or reversed position. <laughs> the spiciness level will tell you how intense the reading is. And the saying on the hot sauce will tell you what the reading is about. Please hit them up. They're doing a guest reading for us on the show in part two of Kitchen Witchery. Mm-hmm. I I love. I also like just shout out to some of the other creators I follow. Um, there's one guy. I think I'm pretty sure his handle is called uh, the Hood Wizard, mm-hmm. and he does like urban witchcraft. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if you're poor and you like live in the projects, this is how you can make these spells work since you don't have access to certain things like running water uh, all the time and stuff like mm-hmm. that. <sighs> Fucking incredible. Uh, <laughs> anyway, stop by uh, for part two of Kitchen Witchery. We're going to talk about freaking the, the witch ghost that's just covered in flour that eats children. Yeah. The haunted flower ghosts. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to talk about things called kitchen witches. And mm. I was talking to Brian, because uh, our Irish friend, um, who had us do an Ogham reading on Irish magic, uh, he's also got a show in Fringe, and he was like, ah, kitchen witches? 
I used to have a kitchen witch as a kid. Me mum used to <laughs> weave kitchen witches for me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, because it's like a thing where you'd make like a witch out of straw and put it in your kitchen. It's like a oh, tradition. We're going to talk about that. Uh, so, yeah, tune in for that. Uh, thanks a whole bunch for dealing with this very ranty, weird ending uh, <laughs> to, to this episode. This I hope this has been a fun episode. I'm, like, Topomancy was a little intense. I hope this was a fun episode to yeah. follow it up with. Hit us up on Patreon, and Elle will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Patreon.com slash Mancy. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. If you like my writing, you can pick up books at rjwalkerpoet.com. If you want to get a reading from me, you can find me on my Etsy, which is Laurels of Lux, on my website, laurelsoflux.com, pretty much anywhere at Laurels of Lux. Um, Let me know if I can help you with anything. And we're on the gram, at MancyPod on Instagram. We are, yeah. You can follow, like, L posts photo dumps for yep. each episode. Uh, so maybe we'll do a photo dump of our fortune cookie fortune. I think we should, yeah. Um, so, yeah, check that out. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Aiden Fulker, Arthi Vinka, Miyu, and Scott Buckley. <laughs> <laughs>